Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. This is your word. We are your children. Lord, Teach us as a father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, so now here we are. We're in chapter 3, and so far in these first two chapters of Matthew, we've seen the importance of the lineage of the Lord, that it was so important to demonstrate that the Lord came as part of the seed of Abraham, as the seed of King David. This was so important, and that's why it starts off that way, because this is the gospel that is written to the Jewish people. So Matthew, by showing the Lord's lineage as he did in the first chapter, has demonstrated the importance of one word in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us, Isaiah 9, 6, the child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So it's this unto us aspect. It's unto us the Jewish child is born. It's Messiah. It's God in the flesh. It's unto us Unto the Jewish people, the Son was given, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And then we saw, as we moved on, the circumstances, the very strange circumstances of the Lord's birth. And it was really, as we looked at that, you could see how they really didn't know who he was. And being born in a nothing of a town of Bethlehem, in a barn, laid in a feeding trough, he was very much hidden from eyes. This was God in the flesh that was concealed and hidden from eyes. And then we saw something amazing there, which was the entrance of these Gentiles represented by the wise men from the east. They were representative of what's going to happen in the future. They traveled so far. They were under such hard circumstances, and they were pressing on for one goal, and that was they came to worship, to adore to admire the king of the Jews. In a sense, as we saw them coming in that way, that they were really fighting their way through all the distance and where are you going and coming to Jerusalem and nobody cared and 
and really having to struggle to find out where is he, where is he, where is he? And it was very much like the Gentiles later are going to fight their way into the kingdom of heaven by receiving this king of the Jews. And then we saw that, as we mentioned here, nobody cared in Jerusalem. There was total apathy. The king of the Jews is born, but nobody goes down to Bethlehem to see from Jerusalem. And we saw how this is going to be how the Lord is going to really, he's going to start his ministry later, it's going to develop, and what's going to be seen is an outplay of this, which is John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then we saw how Herod, he tried so very hard to kill the Lord Jesus, and when he had all those children killed in that such that large area, and as we saw that, we could see how all the hosts of hell, all the demons of hell under Satan, under their leader, tried to do everything to destroy this one who was going to eventually destroy them. Then we saw how Joseph, he was instructed by God, go down to Egypt for safety. We saw in that how God watches over and protects his own. And then lastly, we saw how the Lord ends up growing up in Nazareth, which is a despised town. And so it's been quite a history of this advent of God's coming into the world and the person of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this now brings us to chapter 3, which begins a whole new phase, the new chapter, the new chapter, all right. It's a new chapter in the history of the Lord where it starts off with these words, those days, in those days. So now we start the chapter that is going to begin the public ministry of the Lord. This is his entrance into ministry. And what we're going to see is, again, how unknown he was, even to those in Israel that responded to the call of John the Baptist, repented of their sins. We're going to even see how unknown he was to John the Baptist himself. He wasn't sure in the beginning, is this really the Messiah? And then God had to show him that, yes, this is the one that has been waited for for such a long time. So in verse 1, it starts off, it says, in those days, it says there, and in those days came John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Of course, there's been so many new characters that have been dropped into the stage. I mean, you know, we never saw before, but here's another one. Here's John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, and all of a sudden he appears here. His Hebrew name, we call him John, because John, we think John. His Hebrew name is Yohanan. Yohanan, and like I said, all of a sudden, he's like dropped out of the sky. And he appears here. In Matthew, in this book of Matthew, we are told nothing about John the Baptist. We don't know from Matthew alone who his parents were, where he was born, how he grew up. We don't know anything. It's all of a sudden, he's there. And that's very purposeful. It's very purposeful Because, again, we need to keep in mind that this book is written particularly to the Jewish people. And the last word to the Jewish people, the last word of God to the Jewish people in the Old Testament before this great period of the silence, the 400 years of silence, were the words of the book of Malachi. And Malachi, those words, the last words that God sent to the Jewish people was in Malachi 3.1, Malachi 3.1, where God says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. So who is this that's speaking? This is Jehovah Jesus. And he is saying 
through Malachi to the Jewish people, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me. And then, in the very, very, very last two verses in the book of Malachi, which is Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, he goes on, the Lord goes on, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So he's saying, the heart of the fathers to the children, those who had who were elderly, those who had grown away from God, and now the, the children, it's like the Jesus movement, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and then the hearts of the children are going to be turned back to the way long ago fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to do this. So now all of a sudden, this is what he says, you know, I'm going to send my messenger. So now all of a sudden, we have the promised messenger come, just like Elijah. He comes, and John comes on the stage. He's just like Elijah. Elijah was very much a sensitive to sin, and he's denouncing prophets on Mount Carmel, and he was denouncing the evil Jezebel and her husband. And so in a very similar way, very similar way, John comes on the scenes and he's denouncing the sin of Israel, saying that they should repent. And he's denouncing the sin of King Herod, who he took his brother Philip's wife, and uh, he denounces that, and he later loses his head over it. But this is John the Baptist. He's very much like Elijah. And he's the forerunner before the Lord starts his public ministry. Now, we, we do know some things about John the Baptist, not here, but we do know in the book of Luke that John the Baptist is about six months older than the Lord Jesus. And that's a very important detail because of what the Bible says about the age for the start of certain things you do in Israel. For example, Moses gave the age of those who would go to war, soldiers. It wasn't 18 like here, 19 here. It says in Numbers 1-3, Numbers 1-3, from 20 years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. So the people who went to war were 20 years old and upward. And now Moses also gave the age for those who worked in the ministry, for those who worked in the ministry, and that was in Numbers 4.47, for example, in several places. But Numbers 4.47 says, from 30 years old and upward, even up to 50 years old, everyone came to do the service of the ministry and the service of the burden of the tabernacle of the congregation. So there it is. This is the age of those who went into the ministry. They were 30 years old and upward. This is the age that both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus started their ministry when they were 30 years old. And since John the Baptist is more or less about six months older than the Lord Jesus, that meant that John the Baptist started his ministry more or less about six months earlier than the Lord Jesus when he was 30 years old. And because John's ministry is to prepare Israel for the coming for the Messiah. So from verse 1, John's ministry was preaching, 
which meant that John was out there and proclaiming and he was announcing and he wasn't muttering. He was very much telling it forth. And he was doing this preaching in an area called the Wilderness of Judea, which is a rocky part of the desert toward the Dead Sea, not far from En Gedi, but up the Jordan River before it empties into the Dead Sea. And that's where John was. What he was saying, we're given that in verse 2, and John was saying in verse 2, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his message is, repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. That's it. Not a complicated message. It's a very simple message. It's a plain message. Even a child could understand what John was saying. And his message was to Israel was that you need to repent. You need to repent. Repent, in other words, you need to change your mind about things. You need to change the way you think. It has to be such a deep change of mind, such a real change of thought. It's got to affect your life. You have to have a change of life. So his call, John's call, is really for the people to change. Change. Change how they think. Change what they do. And this is a message that hurt. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a nice message. It was a message that was painful because he was saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. Basically saying, you're a sinner. You're not a good sinner. You're not a nice sinner. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. That was hard for the people to accept. But this is what God told Israel that he was going to do, that he does with them. Very important verse in Deuteronomy 32.39. Deuteronomy 32.39, God speaks about what he does with Israel in Deuteronomy 32.39. He says, see now that I, God speaking, that I, even I, am he, and there's no God with me. And then he says, I wound and I heal. This is what God does. I wound and I heal. A person who is going to respond to the call to call to repent is going to be wounded. He's going to be hurt. It's not nice. It hurts. But this is what God does. He wounds and he heals so that the person who responds to the call to repent believes that there's hope with God to be healed. There's hope to be healed by being forgiven. There's hope to be healed by being cleansed. That's a healing. That's what God does. He's in the business of wounding and healing, wounded and healing. So what John is doing here when he's calling Israel to repent, he's got a strong implication here. I mean, John, by going around saying, well, what what do you have to say to Israel? Repent, repent. He's implying that Israel's full of sin, that they're full of uncleanness. So John has lined himself up exactly with the prophet Isaiah and how Isaiah starts his book. In Isaiah chapter 1, his great message to Israel that sets the stage for what everything is going to say, which is going to culminate in the 53rd chapter, but everything is going to say, Isaiah starts off in chapter 1, Isaiah 1, verse 3, Isaiah 1, 3, which is God speaking, and he says, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider a sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger and are gone away backward. Now, that's a pretty rough description. 
That's a pretty rough description to say that Israel is a nation full of sin, a nation that is just weighed down with sin, a people that are not just evildoers. It says a people that are a seed of evildoers. It's like saying it's in their DNA. They weren't just corrupted. They said they were corruptors. And because of all that, God says, you're provoking me. You're provoking me to anger. And this is how the prophet Haggai also described Israel. Haggai 2.14. Haggai 2.14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is the nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So this is Israel's state. They're full of sin. They're full of uncleanness. And God did not want Israel to continue that way. And so God is now coming to Israel in the person of the Messiah. He's God, and he has sent John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, to go before him to prepare the people for the Messiah. And he's calling them to turn their back on sin and have a new beginning. So when John the Baptist is doing this, he's out there saying, repent, and and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's really doing, it's almost like Jacob has come to life in John the Baptist. Because there was this time in Jacob's life when Jacob had enough. He'd been fed up with his family. And he turned to his family in Genesis 35.2. Genesis 35.2, you may remember years ago when we covered this, but anyway, Genesis 35.2, where it says, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. So Jacob told his family, get rid of all those idols and go take a bath. Wash yourself and change your clothes. And that was kind of a symbol, you know, the washing and the changing of the clothes to be cleansed. This is really John the Baptist, what John the Baptist is doing here. He's saying, repent, and he's saying, and take a bath as a symbol that you want to be clean from this. You want to be done with this. Just like Jacob said, wash you. And this is a preparation. It's like Jeremiah. When Jeremiah called Jerusalem, through Jeremiah called Jerusalem to repent, he said in Jeremiah 4.14, Jeremiah 4.14, Jeremiah 4.14, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? So it's a preparation. You need to be saved. So wash. Wash from your wickedness. And John gives this reason. You need to do this now. Don't put this off. Because he says in verse 2, verse 2, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's a very interesting term that Matthew uses here throughout his book. The kingdom of heaven. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. This term, the kingdom of heaven, is used over and over and over, I don't know, 37 times in the book of Matthew and zero times in the rest of the Bible. This is unique to the book of Matthew. It's just used over and over again in the book of Matthew. And why? Why is Matthew coined this term? Why does he use this term, the kingdom of heaven? I'm sure, you know, John the Baptist said many things, but... Matthew hears him say the kingdom of heaven and everything's the kingdom of heaven. So what is it about the kingdom of heaven? Well, again, we have to keep in mind that the book of Matthew is written to the Jewish people. That's our anchor point in Matthew here. 
It was to the Jewish people that God revealed heaven. Especially, for example, when God told Moses to make the tabernacle, make the tabernacle, what he told him in Exodus 25, 8, Exodus 25, 8, Exodus 25 is, is, is Moses' instructions to make the tabernacle. But in verse 8, God says, which is really the most important verse about the making of the tabernacle, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then he went on, and he said in verse 9, Exodus 25, 9, 25, 9, according to all that I shall show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, so shall you make it. Now, he went on throughout in this chapter, and God repeated several times to Moses, you are to make the tabernacle and everything in the tabernacle as you saw it, according to the pattern. It was only to Israel that God revealed this tabernacle, that God instructed Moses for exactly how it was to be made, and God told Moses, you make the tabernacle exactly how I show you. And he showed him a pattern of the tabernacle. And what he did is God didn't just sit down with Moses and said, okay, let's sit down over this table here and let me get out the blueprints and spread them all out here before you can see. That's not what happened. What happened is God showed Moses an actual tabernacle. And that tabernacle is in heaven. And that tabernacle is referred to in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 3, Revelation 21, 3, where it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and shall be their God. So what Moses saw in this tabernacle of God was in heaven, and it later comes down to earth. That's my opinion, and of course you can disagree, which you normally do, so that's fine. (laughs) So Israel became familiar with the tabernacle in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and a lot of things they became familiar with, which was in heaven, as God revealed it to them. So because of that, the kingdom of heaven has meaning for them. The kingdom of heaven is where the king of heaven is. So when John the Baptist is saying in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's essentially saying that, look, when the king of heaven comes down to earth to gather up citizens for heaven to eventually take them up to heaven. So this is the meaning. This is why it has meaning for the Jewish people, the kingdom of heaven. And he says there's this great urgency about this. Get ready. The king of heaven, he's right around the corner. And so, and that's what he means by the term at hand, very close. In other words, he's saying, Tomorrow is not as good as today. Tomorrow may be too late. And this is the same urgency that John was bringing to the Jewish people. It's the same urgency that we have with the gospel message today. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and a biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Sunday, April 7th. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 